Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Live to see it, friends, and welcome to the world transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. At the world transformed, we want to introduce you to what may be the greatest transformation of them all, the one that begins with considering and acting on the almost limitless possibilities that lie before us and that ends somewhere beyond the reach of the human imagination. So when does this amazing future begin? Well, Today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. Happy Monday. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Doing great. Ready for another great week? Let me tell you something, Stephen. We are eliminating Amazing Wednesday this week because we're all amazing all the time for this week, I believe. <laughs> we're, we're starting yeah, we're up. we're going to just uh, be... Amazing week, I guess. Uh, It's It's amazing week, week, and then some, because (laughs) we're starting what will be at least a three-part series, might be as as many as five parts to this series, called Better Than You Think? Question mark. And we're going to be talking about why the world is still better than you think. New evidence for abundance by our good friend and one of our, I don't know, inspirations, role models, call him what you will, just one of the greatest guys around. Peter Diamandis has written this piece over at Singularity Hub, And we thought, hey, this is worth spending some time on. Peter's right to remind the people why why the world is still better than we think it is. And, you know, we kind of do that too. So why don't we use his arguments as kind of an outline for talking about some of the things we've also been talking about along these same subjects. So that's kind of the premise, I guess, of the the series that we're doing. I love what he says here. Let Let me just read a bit from the beginning of this he says, we're being barraged with negative news on every device. The constant onslaughts, onslaught distorts your perspective on the future and inhibits your ability to make a positive impact. In this post, I'll share a new evidence for abundance, charts and data that show the world is getting better. I'll also share positive news and technological breakthroughs, all of which occurred in 2017 so far. And he makes an important note here. This isn't about ignoring or minimizing the major issues we still face around the world, something that we point out continually. It's about countering our romanticized views of the world in centuries past with data. I love that. The word romanticized, I think, is a good way of of looking at that. You know, we've talked about this quite a bit. What is the appeal to the pessimistic, the cynical outlook in the world? And I think that word romanticized, that's a pretty good way of putting it. There's, There's something enticing isn't there something kind of appealing about the person who takes the negative, dark, cynical view of the world? Isn't there? Yeah, I, I think there's also this. Um, it's 
you know, the need to feel better about yourself, perhaps. Uh, you know, uh, when I was a kid, uh, we, we didn't talk back, and we were, you know, we actually applied ourselves in school and didn't play video games all day and et cetera, et cetera. You know, that, those were the days. Those were the golden days. And, and, of course, every generation has done that forever, right? I mean, um, as, as spoken about, you know. Uh, people, you're right. Be, people look back be, on the past as better yeah. because you were young in the past. So right. they think that yeah. the past must be better than the future if for no other reason. And as Peter points out here very correctly, this is just amplified thousands of times over in this huge feedback loop of media that we have. That it, just, it takes oh, yeah. that negative perspective on the future and it reinforces it and it continually looks for evidence supporting it. And it's a big... He calls it's it a, a drug epidemic. I think that's exactly right. I think, you know, um, it's a drug ac- epidemic of rage, perhaps. I mean, we just get addicted to being angry all the time about this or that, being outraged. That's right. So, Out, well, outrage, as we discussed in a show not too long ago, outrage feeds clicks. The, yeah. the, the web kind of lives on, social media kind of lives on clicks. Things live or die based on how much attention you get. And one of the best ways to get people to click is to get them outraged. And of course, you can't possibly have a particularly rosy view of the future if you're in a constant state of outrage. It just—that it, it would, would be really hard to do. It'd be hard to think. Well, everything around me is horrible all the time, but I think things are going to be better. I mean, the, the two just don't yeah. even work together, do they? They don't. They don't. And so you end up with a skewed view of the world. Uh, and I mean, in, in no po- you know political faction is immune from this. I'm going to tell you, it's it's you know if if you are a conservative and you li- you know and you listen to Rush Limbaugh, then Rush is going to explain to you what you should be outraged about. Right. If if you are a liberal and you're listening to MSNBC or whatever, uh, they're going to explain to you what you should be outraged about, and you know, and and therefore you will be right. I, you know, that's why I've basically, you know, I've tried to in my own life just, you know, don't listen to people I agree agree with because because they have the power to make me mad. And well, I don't, don't listen to the people you disagree with either. They're just going to try to outrage yeah. you the other way, you know. Well, I mean, you know <laughs> To some extent, they make me laugh, you know. Well, yeah. But, uh, I mean, you know, you know, isn't that dumb? You know, I, I, can, I can, you know, at least have that distance from it. But people I agree with, oh, gosh, I, you know, I, I just have to turn that crap off after a that, while. That is, you know? Actually, that's pretty profound, Stephen. That, that's kind of where we are. You can't yeah. – we really don't have any tolerance for the people we disagree with. But once we, once we reach this kind of sophisticated point where the people that we do agree with are just going to be annoying too, right? <laughs> turn it all off. Turn off Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. Turn off MSNBC and listen to the world transformed, folks. I think that's where we're going with this. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's where you were headed, right, Stephen? That's, yeah, I, I, I'll say that. Let's go for it. <laughs> yeah. Here's the show you should be listening to because we are not going to outrage you much, very often. But what we are going to do is provide a little bit of a counter to what you're hearing everywhere else, along with Peter Diamandis in his wonderful article here. So let's talk about this. We're the first one tonight that we're doing, part one, global economy. And Peter talks about the very simple fact that over the past 200 years, the world's GDP has skyrocketed a hundredfold. Humankind has never been more prosperous and productive. And then he shows a graph depicting economic output per person around the world over the last 2,000 years. And this is a very Kurzweilian kind of 
kind of graph here. This is very I familiar to people. Graph. I, I mean, mean, me too. It, it looks like it looks like everybody in the world was broken until you know, you know, the day before yesterday, Phil. And now we're all extremely rich. It's it's I, I exaggerate, but uh, that I mean, it goes from nothing to just skyrocketing over what about the last couple of hundred years, really, right? Yeah, I mean, if uh, you if you zoom in on it. Okay, if you look really close, starting about 1500, the the horizontal line starts to move off that vertical axis just slightly, and then and then somewhere right around that would be 17, the very beginnings of perhaps the Enlightenment, and maybe just just uh, right at the dawn of the Industrial Revolution, or maybe a little before. Yeah, uh, but, exactly. Yeah. You you get to about yeah. 1700, and by the way, what the what the graph is showing is world GDP over the last two millennia. So basically the x-axis is um, the year, and the y-axis is how much we're outputting, okay, how, how much wealth there is. So you start to see a little tiny, tiny sliver of daylight around 1700, and then it turns the corner right around, I'm thinking right around the mid, middle part of the 19th century, 1850s, something like that, and then it just yeah. pretty much somewhere in the 20th century goes straight, straight vertical. It's just a, right? I mean, it's a straight line. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose if you were to zoom in on this and, like, look at the last 10 or 15 years, uh, you'd still see some curve to it, right? I mean... Um, of course, yeah. Uh, because, it's, because this graph shows the last 2,000 years, it looks like it just goes from nothing to straight up. We can probably examine the knee of the curve a little a little better with a shorter a shorter duration. You know, maybe right. put it out a hundred years and you could actually see, you know, the knee of the curve. Maybe probably I would guess uh, looking at it uh, from that range, probably mid sixties or early seventies, something like that. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, at any, any rate, it's the, pretty neat. Right now, we're well north of a hundred trillion total world G- GDP, and the line's still going straight. So. You know what's interesting to me about that, too, while we're just kind of looking at the graph and admiring it, and we'll have a link to this, obviously, so that you can all see this, is the thought that the U.S.'s debt is somewhere around $20 trillion, right? So right. Our, our debt is about 20%. Well, not quite, because it's, we're over $100 trillion, But to call it even 10% of total world GDP, we really ought to do something about that, huh? That's, you know, that's... <laughs> probably, probably <laughs> should should uh, you know should, should look after that. You know? Yeah, somebody should do something about that because that doesn't sound right to me. I don't know. That that that's the downside of the of the prosperity though is the anticipated prosperity, enjoying it ahead of time. I guess that's what we've been doing. Interesting though, if this if this curve continues at the rate it's going, twenty trillion will be a tiny little drop in the bucket before too long. So if we could keep it at that level, it would kind of solve itself, but. I don't know if, if we're going to be able to do that. However, I digress. Let's talk about Peter's evidence that things are getting better economically. In addition to that wonderful chart, he talks about banking the unbanked. I thought this was really interesting, just the idea of getting people who currently don't have access to the overall financial infrastructure, the financial system, into the system. And you know what? There's never been a better time to try to do that. It's never been easier to do that than it is now. Last time we spoke to Brian Wong, he was talking about payment system technologies and how big that's be, electronic payments, how big that's become in China, how big that's going to be in the developing world. And we've got this arc that we've been on in the West that is good, 
but it's one of those things that we had to evolve through so that other people could skip a lot of those steps and, and do something different, right? Because we had a right. very, I don't know, earthbound brick-and-mortar model for money and banking and all that kind of stuff. You get a job, you get a, you know, there's a physical building someplace where you take your check and they give you cash back, right? And I mean, the, right. the, the, the whole thing is set up around those kinds of transactions, around businesses collecting a whole lot of cash during the day and dropping them off, and there's armored cars, and there's big brick buildings, and there's all that kind of stuff. A lot of people, their real introduction into the world of finance isn't that. A lot of people, yeah, their, they, their they introduction... They leapfrog that. Before, what's you know, that? Before they, yeah. yeah, they completely leapfrog that, don't they? I mean, it's, it's a little bit like, uh, you know, in the developing world, uh, the people's first telephone is a cell phone. And in they fact, that, that smartphone that they're getting now... That's the key, yeah. right? That's what's actually bringing them into the financial world. So they want a bank that is friendly to that world, right? They, they want a bank that lets them do what they need to do in the world that they actually live in. And that's kind of what he's talking about. Here's really interesting programs. Refugees can loan money to friends, receive paychecks, access funds using prepaid debit cards, linked to digital identities on the blockchain, all without a bank. So in, in that instance, they're actually helping helping people who don't even, don't even currently have a bank. But I think the next step is for the world's banks to look at this and realize, well, here's a market. Here's a huge growing opportunity. And this goes back to Brian Wong and his basic power. One of the things that happens is once you get people on the grid with power, not on the grid, excuse me, once you give power to folks, actually they'll be off the grid, and they're on the quote-unquote grid, once they're part of the overall system, they become consumers. They become interesting potential target customers for folks. And I think banks that have been going digital and going mobile and going ephemeralized for all of us are going to accelerate that when they realize that there's a big part of the world that's going to suddenly be energized, earning income, looking to make more money. And it's a, you know, it's a huge new market suddenly, right? Right. Yeah, that was not there at all in any form before, and now it's here. You know, and it can be fully realized with 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 the latest technology. And so they they come on board, having getting to skip all this other crap that we had to go through to get. <laughs> That's on, right. right? <laughs> and so in some ways, uh, it's it's a bit of an uh, you know, it is a bit of an advantage, and it's you know certainly an, an earned advantage, right? I mean they've gone through it but it's a because they don't have the same legacy problems that's right they don't they don't have this legacy infrastructure to deal with so in some ways right although i don't want to be in the developing world and i'm not saying it's easy but in some ways they've got it easier in some ways they get to do some things faster than than we got to do them and good for them that's great i'm glad i'm glad they do that's right agreed completely the next example that peter gives is blockchain and government and this is just this is just really interesting we are going to do a big blockchain show or a series of blockchain shows here in the near future. And if there's one word that occurs in my newsfeed, both on Twitter and Facebook, and anywhere else I look more than any other, it's blockchain, right? For a while there, it was UBI. Everything was UBI, UBI, UBI. And now it's UBI and blockchain. And in fact, if you can write an article that talks about how blockchain is going to enable universal basic income, you're in, right? Because you're hitting the two <laughs> big... <laughs> you've, you've got the sweet spot right there. Absolutely. Well, I, I saw a piece by Ben Gertzel yesterday. We should talk about this at some point, talking about how the blockchain is going to completely revolutionize artificial intelligence. 
And I'm like, wow, okay. really? And, and, and allow for UBI. <laughs> no doubt, yes. That's, that's, a, that's a big part of it. Well, here they're talking about the Estonian government is looking at creating an initial coin offering. We've talked a little bit about those. Issuing crypto tokens to citizens to raise government funds. So basically they're kind of enabling, I, I, it sounds more like a taxation kind of a thing. Uh, at the same time, Chinese government is using blockchain technology for collecting taxes and and issuing invoices. So basically, it's allowing for a much more secure, much more reliable way of governments to deal with their folks. You think about a place like Estonia, former part of the Soviet Union, or the People's Republic of China. I'm guessing that a lot of the record keeping around collecting people's tax money or getting their pension money to them, that, that kind of stuff might have been a little lax back in the day, might have been a little less than 100% yeah. reliable. But with the blockchain, you've got the ledger and you've got the completely reliable source, theoretically, of tracking the transactions. And that's going to be big, not just for these government interactions with people, but with going back to our example of the, the developing world becoming part of the economic world, it's, it's going to play a huge role in their ability to trust people that they're working with, to set up business relationships to make exchanges possible, and really to enable just a whole new level of economic activity that hasn't occurred up to now. Yeah, absolutely. I agree completely. So those are Peter's examples, banking the unbanked and blockchain and government. We've got some examples, too, from some fairly recent shows we've done, and I've already alluded to the show we did back in – when would that have been – Earlier, earlier this month, last week actually, Future Wealth, Universal Basic Income, and Alternatives. But also we did the show, would have been a little bit earlier this year, I think it was back in March of this year, Ending Poverty, Multiple Approaches. And that's where we talked a little bit more about Brian Wong's basic power idea, which I think is one of the best ideas I've actually heard for lifting a large section of the world's population out of poverty. It's a brilliant idea for doing it simply by making energy infrastructure available to people who don't have it. We'll be talking about energy a little bit farther down the road, so I don't want to spend too much time on that one because I think that's item three or item four on Peter's list. So we'll talk about energy in particular later. But energy simply as a driver of economic ability, economic health, is what Brian is getting at with his basic power idea. And it could be, actually he describes it as a program that would that would be as effective in bringing people out of poverty as the economic activity in China was over the two decades leading up to about, about two years ago, right? There was this two-decade sweep where China just lifted a huge section of the world's population out of poverty. Brian anticipates doing that two or three times over again just by getting power to the people, if you will. I guess that's a, you know, kind of an old-fashioned hippie way of saying it, but that's the <laughs> idea. Yeah, to coin a uh, phrase, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yes. Yeah. So I think that that is a really solid one, and in that show we talked about a couple others, didn't we? Yeah, and one, one that I particularly like, and, and these, all these things pretty much have a couple things in common, and, and really it's plugging people in that have not been plugged in before, and that right. could be power, but it could also be things like uh, Internet. You know, uh, both Facebook and Google have uh, programs for providing Wi-Fi to vast areas of the world that have not had Internet access 
process. Right. And, um, and, and so, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, little groups of satellites that uh, are providing uh, Wi-Fi to the country that sits beneath them or whether it is, you know, balloons or in, in the case of Facebook, they're, they're experimenting with a solar-powered aircraft that can stay up in the stratosphere, basically, and just linger there for months and months on end. By whatever means, if you can plug these people in, that is like that is, it, it has the same kind of impact, I think, on people's lives that uh, that electricity does. So, well, it has the same impact same as like putting money in their pockets, basically, right? Because it it, right. it it connects them to the economic world, and of course, powers upstream of all that, right? It's great if there's a if there's a Wi-Fi balloon or airplane flying overhead, but if you don't have a if you don't have power for the device and you don't have the device, it doesn't help you much, right? So obviously you, you got to have power and you got to have the device. So all of these kind of work together, but it's getting a lot less expensive to get a device into somebody's hand. As Brian points out, it's getting a lot less ex- expensive and a lot more practicable to talk about simply putting solar infrastructure out and getting power to individuals who need it. Once you have those two things, <laughs> then yes, they're going to need the connectivity, aren't they? They're going to need the internet connectivity. They're going to need the, the content. And it's interesting in the book, and one of the things he talks about in there is how TV might be a killer app for this, that it might be the thing that motivates people to say, yes, get us solar. Get us solar so we can have a TV, right? <laughs> it's like it's something people want. You know, they want, they want lighting for their homes. They want a lot of these things. But you can understand how there would be a desire for people who've never even had power to have a TV that the village can share or even that, that a household can have. So that actually creates the motivation on their end to say, why don't you give us the power now instead of building out your grid, instead of saying we can have it in 15 years? Why don't you send us some solar cells and we'll put them up and we'll start economically developing ourselves right here and now? So it gives them a motivation for it that they might not otherwise have had. Obviously, people are pretty highly motivated to get power anyway. But when you talk about a killer app, when you talk about this kind of glimpse of a, you know, almost more consumer lifestyle, that appeals to people. I mean, it appeals to people in our culture. Right? We right. would be crazy to think it doesn't appeal to everybody else too, right? That everybody wants right, that kind right. of stuff. Well, and I, I know, another program, Nicholas Negroponte's One Laptop Per Child program. Mm, yes. Um, that, that is basically just getting the devices out there. Um, you know, so, you know, you, you put all these things together, these various pieces together, and, you know, you're bringing infrastructure to places that haven't had it before, whether it be the device or the power for the device or the Wi-Fi to connect the devices. It's, um, you know, these people get plugged in, then they're part of the world economy after that, and that's better for them, and it's better for everybody else, too. And Absolutely. And you know what's, what's great about this particular problem area is there are so many people working on it from so many different angles. One laptop right. per child, getting mobile phones to people, getting, getting basic power to folks. There was, in the show that we did, we talked about IKEA having this plan to bring 200,000 refugees out of power by giving them jobs. Uh, excuse me, out of poverty by giving them jobs, right? Awesome. We talked about a wind turbine that costs about the same as an iPhone but that you can use to power a house forever, right? I mean, all you need is enough wind, and for, for the cost of an iPhone, you've what, got... Was it you, Phil, that, uh, that linked to something on Facebook? It showed uh, like a, uh, it was like a helium balloon that's hollow in the middle with a, with a wind turbine. So you get, get these balloons up to, up to altitude, 
like a thousand feet and where the winds are steady and stronger and uh, pro- to provide power. You saw, we saw something very like it in the kids movie, um, uh, big hero six. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, and I, was that you that linked to that? Uh, I did link to Facebook? that. Yes. Yeah. I, I thought that, you know, that's, that's, the, that's kind of stuff that, uh, you, you know, again, maybe these people will never be connected to a traditional grid like us, but if, you know, if you can provide a village with power with a couple of those things. Absolutely. Well, what's exciting about that is just how much more power you get out of it by getting it up there at that altitude. A thousand feet up, right. you've got the ability to generate so much more power. And, you know, who's going to be able to build, talk about infrastructure, who's going to be able to build a thousand foot tower for a village or for a household? That's just too expensive. But here we've ephemeralized it. This is, this is the kind of idea our Buckminster Fuller would have just loved, right? Right. Forget the tower. We'll use helium for the tower, right? <laughs> we'll launch this. <laughs> so, so this thing is both our, our windmill for power and it's also our Wi-Fi tower. It could be. Thank yeah, you. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You, could, you, could, you could do both. And the, the, only, the only potential big problem with this, I guess, is air traffic. If you have enough of these cropping up, they're potentially <laughs> yeah. going to be in the, in the way of you, you. You'd want to have some sort of beacon, you know, on the on the thing and the cable going up too. You probably have some, uh, put some L- put some very bright LEDs on it or something. Absolutely, and of course, it'll just hasten the arrival of the self flying planes because we're going to need those. <laughs> exactly, uh, it knows how to fly around these things. Well, the other take we did on this was the show I mentioned earlier, Future Wealth, Universal Basic Income, and Alternatives. That was just actually two weeks ago we were talking about that, or just last week, I guess. And we kind of did a breakdown of what, what universal basic income is and why there might be alternatives to it along the lines of universal basic assets. We talked about why that might work better. And, and again, we referenced basic power in that discussion. And we also had a discussion about briefly about post-scarcity. And I think that's a concept that we need to keep, that we need to keep coming back to. I, I want to see somebody, instead of doing the blockchain meets UBI, I want to see the blockchain meets post-scarcity. I, I want there to be some thinking around how having people individually empowered to make contracts, to engage in business transactions and know that they'll be secure how that will be impacted by a world where we're increasingly going to be able to own our in, own infrastructure and make our own stuff. How do those two things work together? Because the one criticism I would have of the blockchain hype is that a lot of it is around Bitcoin and some of it around Ethereum. And basically what you keep hearing about that is, oh, the price has gone up. And you know, if, you'd have, if you'd have put $500 in six years ago, you'd have $40 million <laughs> or whatever it is. You know, I mean, these, <laughs> and it, it, it is stuff like that. You know, they say those kinds yeah, of things. Yeah. And that's all wonderful. I mean, who doesn't love those kinds of stories? They say that the guy who started Bitcoin, who goes by an assumed name, is probably worth about $5.9 now, based on the fact yeah. that he owns whatever it is, several hundred thousand of his, of his Bitcoins. Well, that's great, but basically all you're seeing then is that the blockchain has enabled a completely new way to get rich the way we've always gotten rich, right? I mean, the speculation on a particular commodity in this case, and there's been a lot of interest in it, and suddenly people are investing in it, and suddenly the value has gone up, and that's wonderful. I, I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm glad for everyone involved, although I think it makes it hard for Bitcoin to become the de facto currency, if, if everyone's speculating in it, right? 
you, you don't think of uh, the currency you use as being the asset that you buy to hold on to because the price is going to go up. I think there's a, there's a little bit of a problem there. But, but more than that, I think that, unfortunately, the blockchain is becoming associated in a lot of people's minds with, it's the next big thing. It's the thing I'm going to invest in and get rich. And its structure, ultimately, is around doing something else. It's around uh, enabling people to connect in a new kind of a way, as is post-scarcity. So I'm hoping that we'll see something on that. And if we have to do it ourselves, Stephen, I guess we will. Right? We'll, we'll get that word out there. How, <laughs> exactly. How the blockchain will enable post-scarcity. Right? When we get to our blockchain show, we'll certainly do that. <laughs> okay. Well, let's just let's make a note that our blockchain show – We'll talk about post-scarcity on there, too, okay? For all of you listening, remind us of that so that we'll, we won't forget. All right, well, that's going to have to do it. I can't believe we ran out of time so quickly. And I'm glad, Stephen, that we didn't go with our initial instinct, which was to do one show on this, right? Peter, Peter's story is, is going to be worth more than a show, it sounds like. Absolutely. All right. Well, that will do it. Thank you all for being with us. Stephen, great talking with you. We're going to be back on Wednesday with a brand new show, continuing to talk about why the world is still better than you think. We're going to talk about that from a healthcare perspective. Look forward to talking with you all then. And until next time, live to see it. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.